Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future. This episode of the podcast is supported by And Soda, a brand new, refreshing, no-nonsense, sugar-free, sweetener-free and gluten-free vodka-based alcoholic beverage. Only 99 calories per can and flavours include Florida Orange, British Raspberry and my personal favourite, Mexican Lime. Serve, chilled and enjoy. Check them out on And Soda across all socials. You can find more episodes of this podcast, including chats with James Hype, Ben Hemsley, Ridney, Louis Dunmore, Tim from the Utah Saints, and many, many more on iTunes, Spotify, and on Mixcloud. Simply search Felix Leiter in the house. In this episode, I talk to Sam Young, a.k.a. Vanilla Ace, a.k.a. Sammy Juice, about his epic journey in music. From residencies at London's hottest clubs, including China White's, the Mayfair Club and Bougie, to helping Kasabian get signed to Sony BMG. Sam's incredible journey has seen him tour the US, play celebrity weddings, including George Clooney and Idris Elba, and share the booth with tons of top DJs, including Grandmaster Flash. This is one hell of a ride, so strap him and let's get to it. Felix Leiter's In The House. The podcast about DJs, what they do, and who they are. Live with Sam Young. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, I can see your headphones are in. We've both just placed our caps on. Mine is to hide my embarrassing lockdown haircut. Uh, you, sir, yeah. can keep secret whatever you are hiding with your cap. No, I just haven't brushed it. <laughs> you know, I've been super lazy. Uh, right, so we're going to start where we always do on the podcast, which is... We're going to go right, right back to what are your first memories of music? Like, where were they in the car? Were they a brother, a sister, a mum, a dad, a friend? Like, just where and when are you remembering those first bits of music as a child? Oh, God. First bits of music. Um, my dad, um, he had a massive record collection as a child, and he was always playing music loud in the house. So I kind of grew up... Um, just you know, dancing around the living room as a as a as a small kid to wherever he was playing, which was usually, well, and, and well, good music to, on his side was was like you know Michael Jackson, uh, Bob Marley, um, Marvin Gaye, like all the Motown like kind of stuff. And then um, I don't know, from a very young age, it was kind of like every Thursday we watched Top of the Pops. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, and obviously, listening to the radio on the way to school or. You know, um, you know. Obviously, as I was getting older, you know, when when you know start, you know, actually know know what radio and music is. So yeah, it's kind of like we can get into it later. But a lot of English people probably don't realise that you, they've been brought up on dance music. Yeah, you know, they don't they don't they didn't realise it at the time. So it's kind of like I think in English. I think people around my age, we had a very good, um, a healthy diet of. Uh, Lots of t- different types of music growing up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even like even the last episode. Shout out to Josh Hunter, and he was saying like his I can't remember who it was, but someone was playing loads of M people, and he was like, "Yeah, that's basically just dance music. Like that's yeah. basically yeah, just yeah. you know move on up and all that kind of yeah, stuff." Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, there is there is a heritage there. Um, do you remember the first bit of music that was like 
yours physically like you remember buying it or being given it and like holding hmm. it and playing it like uh yeah i remember the first cassette i brought that i that i wanted to get myself i remember i think it was 1988 um i must have been cause where my where my birthday is i can always tell how old how, how old i am uh, how old i was so um i think it was um in 1988 and I bought um, Bobby Brown's Don't Be Cruel album nice which was basically you know one of the you know it's like the, the, the new Jack Swing thriller yeah. album <laughs> yeah obviously I didn't know what new Jack Swing was as a kid at that age but I, I just knew I, I just loved like my prerogative I, I, I loved yeah. all the, you know all the, all the stuff I'd seen on Top of the Pops that I was hearing on the radio and, uh, and I think that was my yeah, that was my first, the, the first cassette I told my, my my dad to buy me. So were you born in like 1980 or something? I'm 79. All right, so I'm I'm right at the end of 80, but it's funny because I do the same thing. So it's like whatever year it was, I just have to take off. Like yeah. I can just work out I'm, how old I'm, I was. I'm, summer, I'm July 79, so um, I'm always, yeah, just a little, yeah. I can always tell how old, how old I was when an album came out. So <laughs> then, then, we, then we sort of like slide into the next bit which it it seems like a silly question especially as the way the world is now i don't mean lockdown pandemic i mean like the way the world is now dj's wise but do you yeah. remember the first time that you sort of realized that someone's job was to be a dj like it was someone's job to play records to make people dance whether that be by the radio whether that be you were at a gig or something do you just remember yeah. that because it seems obvious now that we know about it but as a kid there was a point when you didn't know about what DJs did um, I kind of knew from a young age because I you know on the on the way to school on the way to primary school every day we'd, we, we, you know my mum or my dad would be playing like I think back then it was like Radio 1 or Capital um, so we'd always be listening to the radio and I'd have certain. I, me- I remember from like a very young age having very good taste in music. I always, I always hated the cookie cutter stuff. Like I like. I remember like new shoes. I can't wait. I know they're one hit wonders, but I remember that song vividly because I loved that song. And I remember like thinking, oh, that song's so cool. Like I don't know what it was, but I had a very good taste in music from a very young age. Okay. Like, I hated anything pop, like anything that was like really badly produced or manufactured. I, I I don't know. Maybe it's because I had an older brother. He's two years older. Okay. But we we were very like we had very good taste in music from a very young age. We were like we didn't like we hated New Kids on the Block. We hated Spice Girls, Banana Ramas. We hated all of that. We, like we loved like Michael Jackson, um, like the New Shoes, like the cool stuff. You know, like Alexander O'Neill, all that kind of stuff. And. Um, even Lionel Richie was like borderline cheese, but still was still better than listening to like some of the, the horrible pop music that that was thrown upon me as a youngster. Now I remember very very vividly. I had a nanny when I was a kid, just an Australian girl, and she loved Ross, and I just couldn't stand him. And all the girls in my in my primary school loved Ross, and I was just like that. I, just from a young age, I was just like that had to be the worst music ever. Have you seen that? Uh, have you seen that documentary? I did watch the documentary. I did watch it only because I, I I didn't really know their story, and I really wanted to like, you know, just I like music documentaries, even yeah. if it's like something I don't really like. Get like, you know, I still find those, the stories interesting. They both seem like I was never a into Bros or b very aware mm. of the story behind them. And yeah, that documentary, they both seem kind of 
crazy bit in that you might know this as well from stuff of your life they seem kind of crazy in that way that you can only be crazy if you lived a completely detached life from sort of the normal night of five working people life like I've met a few kind of very famous whatever DJs or musicians or actors and they just seem to have this detached way of living from like what we see as reality and like it's not it's not um sort of a, a disrespectful thing to say from my point of view anyway I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I they, think I, they just seem wow in a different place yeah no, I think I think it happens to a lot of big DJs as well where you've gone from having a normal life so like Bross they were like normal kids and then you've been flung into the spotlight yeah. and you've just got these screaming girls and these fans and like everyone you know licking your ass so it's a bit like these, some of these big name DJs who, who who we can talk about later during this like the COVID nineteen situation, where every week they're probably so used to flying around the world, doing a big festival, having their their bum holes licked, <laughs> and everyone 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 praising them and you know saying how great they are, and then suddenly it's like you know back to reality, and it's like hey, pay for my tour manager. Yeah, we will get to that. <laughs> but yeah, so so coming back to the DJ thing, like you're obviously talking about the yeah. music, but when was the first time you like saw someone DJ? Oh, right, was, yeah, sorry. Like, so, so I think, I mean, probably the same for you. I don't know where, where you where you grew up. I, I, I lived in London my whole life. So like when I was a kid, lots of, lots of you know, we'd have the school disco end of, every year. We'd have okay. the end of year school disco when you're like seven, eight years old. And they'd always hire a DJ. So from a young age, I was like, oh, okay, that's, he's a disc jockey or whatever you want to call it. Okay. That's a DJ. But obviously I knew the guys on the radio were also DJs. Yeah. You know, when you watch Top of the Pops, it was like, hey, that's the guy that plays music on Radio 1, yeah. whatever. And then but the main, the pivotal moment for me, I, I'm half Finnish. Like my mum my was is, is from Finland. And I remember at a very young age, we, we'd taken a trip over there. And my cousin, who's probably like 10, I think he's like, seven eight years older than me well as you know hold on so if i was like nine yeah so he would have been like late teens at this point and i remember we went to a club it was, it was really random we went for dinner and then apparently where he was djing was next door to this restaurant in helsinki okay. and i remember it must have been late 80s early 90s but i remember him playing snap the power um like Technotronic, all those kind of tunes. And I'm, I remember just standing by the side of the booth going like, oh my God, he's making all these people dance. Yeah. I thought, how cool is that? But that was like my earliest memory. Like even though I'd seen like the, the you know, the, the school disco DJs, I, was, I wasn't paying attention because in those days I was like in, in the late, late 80s, 90s, like me and my friends were obsessed with like who was the best Michael Jackson dancer and MC Hammer dancer. So we were not yeah. paying attention to the DJ. We were like doing our little dance circles and like, breaking our kneecaps trying to you know you know <laughs> hitting the concrete floor um but yeah the first memory was definitely helsinki and seeing my my cousin uh like would, DJ would he have been would he have been playing off off turntables at that point yeah yeah, yeah. he was on vinyl i remember i remember i remember seeing all the you know he had like the two big bags of records seven inches and stuff and that was like his little side side hobby i don't think i can't remember him being like technically good but he knew what he was doing. No one was technically good. No one was technically good then. Um, so yeah. So we um, at that point, like, we'll move on obviously in a little bit. But at that point, were you like, I want to do that, or were you just like, that's kind of cool? Like, oh, was there? Was no, there no, no, no. The whole DJing thing came way later. Right. Like, okay. So, so as I as I got older, it's kind of weird because you know, the, the house music thing for me came way later. 
mean, obviously, I grew up on house music pretty much like every other Brit, but you just didn't know it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You just didn't know that that's what it was until later. So my first love, really, musically, was like R&B and hip-hop. Yeah, I was And it still is that. to this day, and I still play it. I mean, yeah. most, most of the live streams I've been doing lately is literally dedicated to, like, you know, 90s and noughties so, R&B and hip-hop. So, and that's, you know, it's, it's what I listen to personally, is what I love and I'm, I'm passionate about. Um, I also think it's a. I also think it's kind of like, and I'm not going to do like it's not a broad generalization, but from doing this podcast and because we go, through, yeah. the start of the podcast is always the same, then it diverses off to whatever it's done. But like, I also think UK wise, there's a bit of a north south divide in that like mm. you get more R and B and hip hop with the southern kind of guys. And you yeah. get more like indie, do you know what I mean? Oasis, yeah, yeah, blur, yeah, 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 like yeah. kind of stuff. Because everyone's kind of, yeah. because everyone's got that, got that, that thoroughfare of, uh, sorry, that, that through line of house music. But right. I had that kind of like, I was getting like, I was getting US house when I was also buying Oasis records. Like, you yeah. know, whereas like sometimes I find like Jay Stone again, like, you know, someone else has been on the podcast, like, those kind of people were like banging to the R and B and hip hop and playing house at the same time or listening to house at the same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. So for me, I, I was, you know, my old, my old, I have a brother. He's like two and two and a half years older than me. So he was kind of the one who got me into hip hop because he'd come back with all these cassettes. You know, in those days it was like, ooh, listening to naughty lyrics by N.W.A. and Public Enemy and, and uh, Ice T and Ice Cube and all these guys. And you know, and then I remember once my dad. My dad's a photographer, and he he had gone to New York for a job, and uh, we just remember, I just remember saying to him like, "Oh yeah, grab grab us like, the latest the latest best rap rap tapes." I remember him he he told us the story. He went to Tower Records like in Times Square or whatever, and he went down to the hip hop rap section, and he just went up to two guys. I don't know if they I don't I know they definitely didn't work there. He just went to two guys <laughs> who were in the aisle. He said, "Hey, my my kids love rap music. Can you just pick out like four albums that they'd love?" So two, and and one of those albums was uh, by a group called Nice and Smooth, called Ain't, Ain't a Damn Thing Changed, and that that album kind of like really changed changed it for me because it was so like funky and cool. It wasn't like N.W.A. where it was so sweary and like you know we're gangsters and whatever. And, and Nice and Smooth to me was like yeah that's proper hip hop music. Did you kind of like you know very lyric like it was fun lyrically and it was funky and it was like cool samples, which some of them I've used in vanilla race stuff yeah um we can get to that later did you ever get into yeah. the kind of like did you ever get into the sort of the turntablism like did you get decks were you did you want to be like a i did of- have decks so that's how that's kind of how the djing came about because so basically as you know when we were kids you didn't have youtube you didn't have itunes yeah you, you literally if you want if you li- if you if you wanted to hear new music you were listening to the, your favorite radio station every day yeah. we had it on in the background you had Atlantic, the cassette Atlantic ready 252 exactly you had, <laughs> you had the cassette ready to record um, I was reading yeah, music magazines at, like vividly reading music magazines so I was reading like Vibe magazine The Source like Blackbeat or, like, like anything that I can get my hands on to learn about what was the next new hot like R&B hip hop stuff okay. but also around this time my, my brother was bringing back all the like Rat Pack and drum and bass tapes. Yes. So before, so before I was in the house, I really liked some of the early jungle and drum and bass stuff. I, I used to love it. I, 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 and also because the early jungle drum and bass stuff, they they were sampling a lot of the R and B and hip hop in there. Yeah. So it was like the way they, you know, even I remember watching the YouTube thing recently about how they used to make drum like drum and bass jungle in those days. It was fascinating. I was like, they had the most minimal 
like basic equipment, but they still yeah. made these amazing records. And um, so, yeah, so my, my brother was a heavy influence because he was older than me. So he obviously he knew what was, you know, him and his friends knew what was cool, you know. So they'd be like, yeah, you got to listen to this. Oh, yeah, this is cool. So that that, that heavily brushed off me. So but back to the turntables, he bullied me. So every Christmas, my mom, my mom and dad would give us some Christmas money. So he, my brother was like, yeah, we've got to get turntables, man. That's a new thing. We've got to get turntables and blah, blah, blah. But obviously, my mom and dad weren't going to buy us Technics because they were probably super expensive. So my brother was like, yeah, we get these belt drive ones. They're like, you know, set is like, it's like 100 pounds or two. We're like, yeah, amazing. We had like a crappy mixer. Yes. And I remember, I remember that Christmas. I must, it must have been, I think it was, it was Christmas 92 or 93. And I remember going to like the HMV on Bond Street and just buying like buying up as much as much like vinyl that we could with the money that we had and i remember we had like 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 hip-hop records from like red man um like any any camozzi here comes the hot stepper 12 inch yeah like all that kind of stuff all that like i used to love like 90s r&b so we've got like you know joe and black street and all these bands and all this other stuff um obviously so in those days it wasn't about djing it was just like all the vi- all the music i liked you could only buy on import vinyl. Right, okay. So I was going to buy, so I was just buying this these records because I was like, I want to like them. And also because I couldn't, you know, you couldn't buy it on cassette or CD back then. It took a long time to come out. So what sort of age are we, ta- are we talking about? Are you hitting 15, 16 at this point? Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. early, even early. So I think the turntables, the turntables came when I was like, I, was, I think it just turned 13, 14. Okay. I remember, yeah, because that was like the golden era really because I remember buying like the, the first Wu-Tang album on, on cassette and um, that was 1993 yeah um, and then even like the Chronic that had the first Dre album the Chronic I remember yeah so I think 93 onwards okay I remember having those on vinyl um, so I was I was kind of in it from very young and um, but also this is where the music my music snobbery levels at school were unbelievable <laughs> Like literally, my friends like I would literally. I before even coming home to do homework, I would want to make mixtapes for my friends because I'd say to my friends, "Oh, you heard the latest like Tupac album?" Like before Tupac, you know, was cool and everyone liked Tupac. Like I remember having his his album would like keep your head up and I get around and you know and and no none of the kids in my school liked R and B and hip hop. They were just like, "No, no, I'm listening to like Backstreet Boys and whatever (laughs) other crap was big at the time." And I'd be like, oh man, like, yeah, they, they liked like the obvious stuff that was like on top of the pop. So they'd like, you know, um, Coolio, Gangster's Paradise, and yeah. stuff that was force fed to them. And I'd be like, oh no, you need to listen to this guy, Notorious B.I.G. And they'd be like, oh, what's that? Like, you know, they just wouldn't get it. And so I'd always go and make these cassettes for everyone in my school. And also my little hustle at the time in London, there was a big market in um, High Street Kensington called Kensington Market. It was very cool. It was, you'd love it because it was very indie okay. it was very edgy it was like all the tattoo parlors were in there they had all like the boutique uh, clothing stores and there's one was that, like, was that like before Camden was even Camden was that, or was that... Camden now uh, Camden town was Camden's been there way before since the eight, early oh, right, 80s okay, I yeah. think and um, so what I would do is I'd go to these stores that were selling like the hip hop clothing and there's one in Kensington Market and I got, I got really friendly with a guy in there so I'd go in there every, like you know twice a month and the guy would give me like ten pounds for a, for a ninety minute cassette, so that was my little hustle. Then I realised, well, if he's buying cassettes, I'm sure I have a shop to it. So I literally just go around saying like, 
I'd give you the cassette for a couple of days. You listen, then I come back. If you like it, you pay me for it. If not, I take it back. That was my little hustle. So I'd go around to selling little mixtapes to all the shops. There's so many, so, there's so many like things that kind of um, run through like varying like versions of the podcast. And like one of the ones that you pick out there is like being a selector. Like, and a few people have sort of mentioned that. Like Hannah Lang sort of mentioned that. And, yeah. Like, a few different people that we've I've spoken to kind of go, yeah. But I was just I was just showing people records that they hadn't seen before, and like, and I yeah. got a reputation at school yeah. or at college for being yeah. that kid. Like, again, Ben Rainey's another one shout out. Like who just kind of went, yeah. But I was showing like. I was turning up at parties or making mixes or putting out tapes or whatever. And yeah. like, and people were going, Oh yeah, he will knows or she will knows the, the tunes, yeah. man. Do you know what I mean? And then yeah, yeah. the other thing that you mentioned there, like the hustle is like loads of people, like loads of people. I mean, you might even come onto this, but like loads of people talk about the hustle of like, you know, DJing um, parties, like school discos, like weddings, yes. anything just yes. like to, to fund their sort of like their, yeah. their, their, their love of music. So, yeah. so when was the first time that you took these, turntables and played somewhere like i guess it would have been hip- <laughs> r&b hip-hop but when was the first time no you... no no it wasn't it wasn't it, i was gonna get i was gonna mention it um but you've asked the question so um yeah the first the first gig i did by myself was actually yeah it was my secondary school end of year it was the end of year school disco and i remember you know they put the poster up and the teachers are like okay so who's gonna dj and all that and i was literally just pushed everyone out the way i was i'm dj <laughs> And then ended up being then there's like one older boy in an older class, this Italian kid. He's like, okay, okay, so me, me, I can't remember his name, but he wanted to play some Italian songs. So on the night, I remember because he was he was older than me, because I was only like you know 13, 14. And I remember just being so happy that to go home and I like we I I remember the guys came in you know to um, set up all the equipment, and so they had like we had one turntable, we had one cassette deck, and one CD player. Nice. So my my alternation, like I had to alternate between like a cassette, <laughs> which obviously I paused the night before in the right place where it had to be. The CD obviously was tracked, and it wasn't like a DJ booth. It was kind of like all the setup on on these tables, and I was just sitting behind them, playing each song, and it was just funny. And, and also, I knew what songs were big. So I didn't just play for myself. I didn't just end up playing like loads of Dr. Dre and Joe Jodeci records and being like, oh, okay, yeah, great. <laughs> it was kind of like, I knew what they wanted to hear. And, Pete and, the, and like, the girls would come up and be like, oh, Sam, play that, you know, Backstreet Boys song or like NSYNC, whoever was big at the time. And um, so I would, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Because some, some, some of the kids, would they brought in their own CDs, with no, you know, so we ended up, you know, just playing what people wanted about at the same time still playing like you know naughty by nature opp and yeah you know everything else that that was so like it was i went to the, um quite a mixed school so the kids in there like yeah they liked everything from like the pop stuff to like some kids like you know the rock stuff and something there you had some kids who did like some hip-hop so i mean yeah. at this point when you sort of like i mean we're, we're jumping around age-wise but like in yeah. sec- in secondary school sort of pre you know exams like yeah. obviously you mentioned your dad was a photographer. I don't know what your old, you know, you had an old brother. What did you think you wanted to do? Like, did you have a was it was was the, was the head in music or were you kind of were you focused on something um, completely different? Like, were you like I'm going to do this and the music came later. When no, when when I was really young, I wanted to be a comic comic book artist. Cool. That was that was my that was my thing. Like you know, I, I was really taking that kind of seriously. I was going to like these courses on the weekend, like in my, my area. I mean, I grew up heavily reading like marvel and dc comics and all that stuff 
but not like the obvious like Batman and Spider-Mans. I was into like sounds funny, but I was massively into like GI Joe comics. Okay. Um, I know they had the toy line. Obviously, I loved the toys as a kid, but then I realized that the comic books were a bit deeper and a bit more like oh, like they kind of like went went deeper on the, on the ninja characters and the martial <laughs> art aspects. I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. And then I then I loved. What else did I love? Oh God, I like I like anything. As a I was a typical. 90, 90s kid. I loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I loved, um, you know, like I think as a as a kid, always watching, um, you know, I loved that like that first Batman movie when it came out. That blew my mind. I, was was there, any- I don't think I I don't think I was even old enough to go in, but my brother sucked me in, and I was like so nervous that I'd get caught. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> and was so was there any like obviously you mentioned that was a photographer, but was there any musicality in the family? Like was there any kind of nah, like, none at all? Did you play nothing. an instrument at school? Was like I was I was I tried to. My mum tried to give me um, piano and guitar lessons, but I just didn't have the not interested the patience. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't that. It was just I didn't I couldn't see the end game. I couldn't be like I couldn't yeah. I couldn't see the end game of like oh this is where it's gonna and also when you when you're that age. I don't know. I was just, I just wanted to get back to making mixtapes and yeah. you know reading my magazines and stuff. I just didn't have the patience for it. So so what happened? So again, like so you started doing some well, you know, not gigs, but you did this this the school thing. You've got your decks. You're buying like hip hop R and B, buying a broad range. You're not just buying yeah. you know, the popular stuff. Yeah. What's then happening when you're going through kind of like those like late teens into kind of college or sixth form or like what, yeah yeah so. Um, I, I flunked my GCSEs really badly. Okay. So I had to go and do um, three years at Richmond College. Okay. Um, which is, which at the time, it still is now. I mean, it was, it was um, very far from where I lived. I live in, I, I grew up in Labrador Grove, which is West London. Yeah. Um, my mum didn't want me to go to college. She was like, Sam, just go and, you know, go and get a job. I mean, at this time, I was doing odd jobs all over the place. I wasn't really DJing or, you know, really making, you know, if I did have a gig, they were paying really badly. And yeah. It was like shitty, where I come in, you know, just really bad, like little little clubs off the, off the side of Regent Street, like, you know, 10 DJs and you're playing for one hour. And if you're lucky, the promoter might give you 20 quid. You know, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't great at all. And, I, and then also at this time, I really, I was not very good at mixing. I just didn't get the whole BPM thing. Okay. I was really bad at like, you know, I knew the music. And I loved. I knew what I liked, but is I had, this still I, a lot of R and B and hip hop and stuff? Yeah, this yeah. is all R and B and hip hop still. So I tell, I tell you. So what? I fast forward a bit. So what? Basically, what happened was when I was in college, um, I, I remember being in my friend's car, and Around the World by Daft Punk came on. Yeah. So I think this must be '97. What year did that come out? 98, 97? I don't know. No one else so, mentions year as much as you. I, know, so like, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think it was 97. I'm going to throw it out there. I think it was okay. 97, 98. And I just remember hearing on the radio going like, wow, what's this? So obviously around this time, you have all the UK garage and, and the two-step stuff. Yeah. But I was, again, I was, I was, a, I was an avid during, once, once I got to like 17 I'd say, I know, I'd say 16 onwards, I was going clubbing. I was, I was out most weekends going yeah. clubbing. So I'd go out, you know, when I, when I went to Richmond College, I made up, you know, I was, I was friends with, uh, I had a, a, a good a clubbing crew with me, you know. Like, so every weekend we'd go to um, everywhere from Gas Club to um, Bagley's. Yeah, man. We'd go up to a place, in, uh, another place in, in Angel. 
It was called Camouflage. I think the night was called Camouflage. It was amazing. Called one floor is garage, one floor is R&B and hip hop, one floor is drum and bass, and it had one room playing like um, like like funky house, disco house, you know, vocally stuff. So it's very. It's, I mean, I always liked as. So like we were saying, I liked house music. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah, you like dance. You like far, far I like dance, dance music. music. Yeah. I was like, oh, cool. This is dance music. This is what I, I hear on top of the pops. And this is what Armin Van Helden does. Oh, cool. I yeah. get it now. And then, um, so to, I, I wouldn't say I was a, a listener of house music. Because I heard it so much in the clubs and on radio. I wasn't like, that's what I want to listen to at home. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I hear it everywhere. I hear it everywhere. And in those days, you did. It was big. Yeah. It was everywhere you went. It was You'd hear it. So it wasn't like something I wasn't going to buy, you know, the latest Ministry of Sound album, compilation album to listen at home. That wasn't my thing at all. Um, so, yeah, Dark Punk came out. And then I realized I really liked this French style of house. I really liked this this French touch, this disco-y, funky vibe. And then obviously, as I got deeper into my hip hop collecting, it kind of took me down that rabbit hole of, sample, of where the samples came from. Yeah. So that does blew me away when I started hearing like how they were sampling stuff and where it came from and all this stuff and also and also I was buying records from places that were also like schooling me they're like you know telling me like oh Sam yeah you need this you need to check this out this is where they got this sample from and I remember there's one guy every every Saturday in in um in Portobello Market there's one guy I love I can't remember the guy's name now he didn't even have a shop it was not obviously it wasn't a shop it was just a stall yeah but he was there every Saturday and all he had was 70s, 80s, like funk, disco, rare groove. That he'd be schooling me every Saturday, be like, Sam, Sam, this is a tune, you need this, this is so rare, you need this. So he was just speak. no, but he wasn't giving me like duds, he was giving me like yeah, yeah, really yeah. good stuff. So I was just like, oh wow, this guy is like, you know, he'd be like, oh Sam, you hear that new house record that samples this. So he'd be playing me stuff and I'd be like, oh wicked, like, you know, he's, he's teaching me everything. And also, obviously at this time as well, H&B, you know, everyone will laugh about H and V. You know, I mean, I think it's now gone. Rest in peace. I think there's a few, a few around. But H and H and V in those days had a great selection of vinyl selection. Yeah. Of vinyl, the vinyl stuff was amazing. Yeah, like, I've still got, I've know, still got stuff behind me with H and V stickers on it. Yeah, yeah, so, same here, yeah. same here. Like they had from, from like from the house stuff to the R and B and hip hop. They had all the good imports. I mean, Soho in those days was amazing. You had like Black Market. You had yeah. Uptown Records. You had. Um, Mr. Bongo had Wild Pitch. There's so many good, good record shops. Whatever genre you were into, they had it. And um, so, I don't know what your next question was going to be, but the house music. So how I got into DJing house music was when I first started playing. I was always given the early set because I wasn't playing house. I was just playing like okay. R&B, hip hop, acid jazz, like you know, Young Disciples type stuff. Jamiroquai. It to me it was still. R&B-ish but it was just funky like so basically I was playing anything that was funky I wasn't playing like hardcore hip-hop stuff I was playing like but this, also you gotta remember this is like the Jiggy era of hip-hop so it was all like all the big hip-hop records were you know rap, it was like rapping over disco and yeah. funk stuff so it was all like good stuff for the club but the guys after me were playing house music so I was like that's the only so in my mind I was like the only way I'm gonna get bigger it's if I start playing the house music stuff Play that I on. like. Yeah. So this is when I was like 18, 19. That's when the, the light bulb went off in my head and I was like, okay, I need to start playing house music. So and at this point, are you still at college? Are you are you still try are you still drawing and like are you still like No, no, no. So um 
yeah, I mean, the story how I got in, how I got my lucky break is a is a, is a, it's a good one. So yeah, the, the, the drawing kind of stopped, and all the music lessons stopped because I just got interested in like hanging out with friends and you know clubbing girls and clubbing and making you know carry you know just buying records and all that kind of stuff. So um, my big break DJing. So I was as I was saying, so I was still I was doing the odd crappy gig and whatever whatever working Saturday jo- weekend jobs. And then obviously my you know my, my as I said my dad's a photographer. So one night I don't know where why I was out but he was out and he he rang me he said Sam I'm at this Donna Karen party on New Bond Street come by are you dressed are you dressed okay and I'm like yeah I look okay <laughs> so um I go to the door my dad's left my name on the door it's at the Donna Karen shop I walk in there's some cool DJ there playing I remember he was playing Tom Tom Club Genius of Love and I was like okay he's playing like the the eighties, you know, the break, cut the breaks, kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, the, you know, stuff that's, you know, that I think at the time, like Mariah Carey, fantasy was big. Yeah, so it had been, it had been big. Yeah, that came out in ninety five, so this is a bit later. But anyway, he was playing all that kind of like cool, rare groove, disco-y kind of like funky seventies, eighties stuff. So I was like, oh wow, they have DJs at these kind of things. That's interesting. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm standing with my dad. This lady comes over. Her name is her name is Jeanette Cleaver, and she says to, to my dad, "Oh, Richard." Are you going to come to my party on Saturday, the Mayfair Club? Um, it's my birthday. You, you have to be there. No, no, sorry, it's a week after. So I say to my dad, "Oh, what does she do?" And my dad's like, "Oh, her name's Jeanette. She runs. She runs part. She does parties and all blah blah blah." So at this point, China White, I think China White had just opened in London. Yeah. And China White, even it's probably got a, probably, I don't know, a bit of a tarnished name now, but when it opened, yeah, back in 1999. That was the club the place. in London. That was the VVVIP club. Like, we, like that was probably like the equivalent of Studio Fifty Four, but in the late nineties, yeah. early two thousands. So, um, so I said to my dad, "What does she do?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." So he says what she does. So I'm like, "He's like, go go and talk to her." And I'm like, oh, "Okay." So I go up to her and I say, "Hey, hey, Jeanette." I'm Richard's son. I DJ. Um, I don't know if you need anyone, and she just gives she gives me her card. So I'm like, cool. I don't think anything of, else of it, you know. And then the next week, one of her DJs pulls out of her out of her birthday because he's he's I don't know. I, I know I know who the guy was actually. It was Femi Fem. Okay. Femi Fem was part of Young Disciples. Yeah. And Femi Fem also had the rotation night in Portobello Road, which I actually ended up DJing. Like, I get the hell out of him. I really wanted it was a cool night it was a cool R&B hip hop night so everyone played at rotation like Manny Norte played there um, like Shorty Blitz like all the all the, all the big R&B hip hop guys so um, Femi Femi pulls out of DJing her birthday and she calls up my dad she doesn't have my number she calls my dad up and I'm still living at home at the time I'm like 21 <laughs> 21 years old you know still doing your jobs on the weekend just you know getting by and um, she calls up my dad she's like is Sam available on Saturday to DJ at the Mayfair Club for my, my birthday? So the Mayfair Club at this point, it was a massive club on uh, Berkeley Street, which is now the Nobu on Berkeley Street in, in the Mayfair, yeah. which is like, it's like the, it's, it's a very posh street. It was a posh street back then, but it's even posher now. Okay. So the Mayfair Club was huge. It was a big club. It, it was like, I mean, I mean capacity-wise, it, it, it probably held like, I don't know, a good thousand people. You know, So for me, I was like, oh, great. So my dad says... Sam, uh, talk to Jeanette. She wants to, she wants to hold the DJ on Saturday. So I'm like, yeah, great, cool, okay. So 
I'm still not great at DJing. I, I have the records, but I'm not great at putting it all together. I, but I kind of know what I'm doing. So, you know, this young, this is like, I must have been, I don't know, what year is this? I think this is like 2000 or so. Yeah. But I'm just blown away by the guests at the party. Like, I'm DJing. She's got George Michael there. She's got Simon Le Bon there. She's got all these models, all these people. And I'm just like 20 years old. And I'm just like, uh, kind of like bricking it. But, you know, people danced. They had a good time. Um, she comes up to me at the end of the night, gives me 300 quid. She says, is that okay? And I'm just like, feel uh, like a yeah. millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was funny. So, and is that funny. the first time, did they have like 12, 10, was that different equipment? Do you remember it being like, wow, this is different? Or do you, does that not even register in well, your memory? Or? Um, yeah. Um, I, I, so as I said, I, I'd done, I'd been so you, doing club. So you've been, been on, all right. So you've yeah, been on so 12, been, 10s before and stuff like I was, that. I'd, I'd used 12, 12, 10s, but the thing is I wasn't great at beat matching and stuff at that time. I still wasn't great at, you know, only, only later I realized there was a lot of DJs that weren't good at beat matching. They just knew where their drop a record is. Yeah, they just knew how to drop, yeah. drop. So I really kind of wanted to learn how to beat match. And I had a friend of mine, he would come to gigs with me. So before this gig, so before the gig with Jeanette, my friend Simon, um, he was just a natural. You know, you've got that one friend who's just, he's just great at mixing. <laughs> so he, he just had it, man. I don't know why. And also, I, I, have you, you know the Scratch Perverts? Yeah. So I had a friend of mine, I'm still friends with him to this day, Harry Love. He was the youngest member of the Scratch Perverts. So around this time also, I'm friends with Harry Love. And he, Harry's a bit younger than me. And I remember the first time seeing Harry DJ, I go to this house party and I walk in and there's this skinny little white dude, pale is that pale as, just cutting up like Mob Deep Shaquan's part two. And I'm like, what the fuck? fuck. <laughs> I'm, just like, I'm like, wow, that guy is talented. Like, he's younger than me and he's DJing like Funkmaster Flex. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, literally, I was just amazed. So I became, so obviously around this time, I became, you know, Simon, me and Simon went to primary school together. And um, so, Fast forward again, back to Jeanette. I, I do a good job at Jeanette's party. So what does she ask me next? Sam, do you want to come as DJ every Wednesday at China White? Nice. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, you know me, I'm still in college at this point. Yeah. I'm still, I'm in my last year of college. So, you know, I start doing the Wednesday warm-up sets at China White. Yeah. And obviously, I'm still, I know I'm not good at mixing. So Simon, Simon has to come with me to these gigs. So he's kind of like, I'm learning on the job how to mix. <laughs> like, so I'm literally, you know, I'm throwing in the deep end here, man. I'm like, you know, I've gone from like just buying, buying and collecting records to like, you know, literally temp tempting fate and, you know, telling the university that the universe that has to happen. And then, yeah, I mean, that's where it Can works. Can you remember how much you were getting paid for those, those Wednesdays at China White's? 300 quid. Wow. And I, split, I, I, and I remember splitting it with China. Well, I remember splitting it with Simon. So basically, this that's what's crazy. So in those days, China White was paying the warm up guys three hundred yeah, quid. I was gonna say that's, the guy, that's London prices. That's <laughs> London prices. So that kind of set the benchmark for me. And then the DJs after me, I think the main guys were getting five hundred quid. Wow, that's good. But money. you got to, but you got to remember, right? China White at this point was was the hottest the, the club VIP in the country. Place. Yeah. 
maybe the hottest country, maybe maybe the hottest club in Europe. So when you're getting and, these, so you're getting these gigs, right? So you're now doing China yeah. White on a Wednesday and stuff. Are you yeah. just now like, right now I'm a DJ? That's it, like for the rest of time. This easy money, like I'm gonna learn to mix. This is it. Like, was that in your head or was it still like, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. I was like, all right. I'm like, I gotta. Oh no no. So, <laughs> so also around this time. Sorry, I completely missed this point out. So around this time, when I finished college and I'm doing the, the shitty gigs and just like, you know, getting by. I was, I, it, yeah, I was living at home, but I was working at a record company called Concept Music. I completely, sorry, I completely just spoke about right. the DJ and forgot about the job part. So I had a friend, uh, my mum's best friend's boyfriend was a musical director for, um, remember the singer Gabrielle? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he was the musical director for Gabrielle, um, there's a band called China, China Black. Um, they had a few songs in the '90s that were big. So he was a music, he was a bass player. He and a keyboard guy. Like his name was Jingles, um, and he's now based out in uh, I think uh, Thailand or in anyway he's in Asia working with all the big big K-pop bands and all okay. the big Asian groups. So Jingles gets me a job working at Concept Music. The concept music at the time it was it was it was a small independent dance label. So um, I'm I'm earning like 150 pounds a week working at concept music. So I'm there from say yeah, nine to five. 99, yeah. 99, no 98 or 99 till 2001. So about three years I'm there. Okay. And it was a great. I went, I'm not going to knock the job. It was amazing. I learned so much about A and R and talent scouting and. Now, how you put together a single and an album and marketing and you name it, like you know that I was. It was not a big company. It was like you know less than ten people working there. Also, so at the when time I was, there was music. Also, at the time when there was actually money in that in that side of the music industry as well. Yeah. So, you know, also my boss at my boss there, who's who's still around now in the industry. His name was Max Bloom. He was a massive house DJ. Um, not saying like not massive. Not, not say. He wasn't a big name DJ, but I mean, he was a big house music fan. Yeah, yeah. So he had all the records. So, so whilst I was working there, so going back to the house music thing, he was schooling me <laughs> on all the classics, okay. and all the underground tunes as well. So even though I was going out clubbing every weekend and you know coming in with a mad hangover on on, on Monday morning, he was um, he had a really big record collection. So he he would be you know teaching me about all you know all the early house music even techno he'd be like yeah i remember when i was at concert we did we 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 uh we released uh blackwater um by octave is it octave one yeah 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 so we we released that and i remember thinking like oh wow that this this is quite melodic this is quite nice and he's like yeah it's like it's like techno it's kind of like melodic techno and i was like oh cool so i was like oh okay i mean i was quite naive at this point to most you know unless it was dark punk or like armor van helden or you know Bob Sinclair like Bob Sinclair's first album for me is still legendary I think yeah. that's an amazing album um, so I've, I've only spoken about the DJing so um, the music side before I worked at Concept I had done work experience at Warner Brothers and I'd also done okay. a good two three year stint at uh, Sony Music wow um, jumping around different departments not, not this is unpaid work I was just there you know what I mean is that just because you? Is that just because you were interested? Is that because you, had your dad sort of opened the door, or had you kind of done the door knocking, or like? Um, it's that... a bit of both, really. Um, he definitely had contacts in those days because obviously in those days there was less photographers, so your your one-on-one relationships with people 
was different. Yeah. You know, so everyone knew, everyone at Warner's, like Warner Brothers Press, knew who my, my dad was because he did the they, would, they would need him because, yeah. you know, they needed a photo shoot of whoever was on Warner's Atlantic at the time. Yeah. They would. So I remember, like, some, I think it was summer of 96, 7, I did work experience at Warner's Atlantic. I remember I had to go and drop off packages to like Mark Morrison, all those kind of guys. Nice. <laughs> and then, no, but it was great. Also, I mean, the work experience thing was great. And I, I recommend this to any young person listening to the, your podcast. It's a great way to just learn about the business yeah. and also build up your record collection because the amount of free CDs yeah. and cassettes and vinyl. Yeah. I mean, this is really bad. I should even mention this, but my little side hustle, when I worked at Atlantic, <laughs> Warner Brothers, Selling the really, promos. I, you selling I, the I, promos. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. So basically, on High Street Corner, those days, there was this one shop that this second-hand guy was there. And he, had all, he had a massive... He was upstairs of this, like, jean jeans shop. And um, I'd go there every Friday with just, like, the latest promos of the week. And he'd give me, like, 30, 50, like between 30 to 50 quid. Amazing. But it was enough to get by for the weekend. Like, because it wasn't Love that it. much to go out in those days. Love it. You know? So... Sorry, Warner Brothers Atlantic. If all your all your stuff ended up in that shop, it was me. <laughs> so, 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 because obviously we could go into like super depth about everything, but yeah, you you're working at Concept. You're now earning yeah. like double your weekly wage from Concept by doing a warm up at China White on a Wednesday or something. If they're a similar, yeah, time. and I was doing Saturdays at Mayfair Club still. Wow. So, like, so yeah. I mean, I mean, I had gigs when I was young, and like, I felt like yeah. I was a millionaire, but I won't get paid that. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. but it's cheaper living up north. But um, yeah. but then so then so then let's go forward a little bit. What what then changes? Like what happens when you leave concept? What are you trying to concentrate more on DJing? What's talking well, us through the next? There's, there's one there's one thing I have to mention because you were talking about how Northerners are into like you know Oasis and indie rock and stuff. <laughs> so just before I leave concept music, this manager of this band called Syracuse comes in. He drops this band this band on my lap. He's this CD. He's like, these guys are amazing. They're from Leicester. You got to sign them. So I'm like, so I listened to the demo, and at this point, I was like the demo, you know, Filter guy to go to a concept. Yeah. You know, I was the A and R, you know, the the talent scout. Um, so I listened to the demo, and I'm like, oh, these guys are really good. It's a bit it's like a mixture between Stone Roses and like Happy Mondays meets Oasis. Um, so the band um, end up changing their name to Kasabian. Uh-huh. So you signed Kasabian. I signed Kasabian to BMG <laughs> nice. in, two, in, in 2000, uh, the beginning of 2002. Wow. Yeah. So in the midst of me DJing and getting gigs and leaving Concept, so the reason I left Concept is because, I was, as, I, as you mentioned, I, was, I started DJing more and more. Yeah. I was getting like, you know, I was, and it got to a point where I was DJing seven nights a week. Yeah. Just from literally just from going around, asking for gigs and and also like we all, we all know like the way to get gigs is to have gigs so if you're doing China White on a Wednesday yeah. and Mayfair on a Saturday people are coming in and going oh can you do Miss Gig on a Thursday what are you doing on a Monday yeah. what are yeah. you doing on a yeah. Sunday like yeah. that's how you get yeah get gigs yeah and, and also, also it ended up sometimes doubling <laughs> up because sometimes Mayfair in those days Mayfair Club and China White were open like five days a week so they'd be like Sam we need someone to do the warm up on a Wednesday or can you do or, or the Thursday or the Friday yeah. so you end up you know just from being out and about yeah. and they're being the young just really eager you end up getting more and more gigs so with the Kasabian thing so going back to my my work experience at Sony a friend of mine who I worked with at Sony has now got an A&R job at BMG this guy called Darren Dixon so 
I ring up Darren. I say, Darren, I'm about to leave concept, but I've got this band that are really good. And he's like, okay, bring them in. So long story short, take Kasabian to Darren. We set up some showcases. Um, we set up another showcase like a couple months later because it's around Christmas time, 2001. Come January 2002, they get signed. That's it. Kasabian is now with uh, BMG. Nice. And then they go, they go on. Their, I think it's the first two, three albums went on, like did really well. Did you get a signing bonus? I won't go into that. <laughs> let's, skip, let's skip that question. <laughs> We'd be here all day about that. <laughs> Um, I was so, very just put it this way I was very naive well that's that's the, that's the music industry it was, it? It, was a, it was a it was a it was a good and bad learning experience um, yes okay so then and then so DJ so what so what happens when you leave concept where are you going what's your plan just DJing just full DJing. time just DJing so you're DJing full time and are you DJing under Sam Young at this point yeah only Sam Young are you playing more are you playing more housey stuff at this point are you kind yeah, of yeah 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 because um House music to me is getting better and better at this point. You know, this is like early 2000s. Yeah. So you've got all the great defected releases. Yeah. You've got all that French house stuff. Yeah, Rulay. Um, yeah. And obviously in all the clubs in London, yeah, unless you were doing an R&B and hip-hop night, you had to mix it up. You couldn't just play one thing. Yeah. Especially like somewhere like China White on a Wednesday, you had to play like, yeah. you know, a mixture. So you couldn't just play wherever you like, you know, you couldn't play Biggie all night or Nas, wherever. <laughs> that was not going to happen, you know. So I was playing, um, yeah, I was playing loads of different records. And um, so just generally, that obviously, as you said, so as I was DJing more and more, I became friendlier with more more promoters. Yeah. So one of the other promoters I came really friendly with, there's a few of them. One of them was this guy called Nick House. So Nick House ended up having one of the biggest events companies in London called London, London, um, London Parties. The London Parties end up doing, they were doing like, say, you know, five clubs on Saturday, three, four clubs yeah. on a Friday, yeah. three clubs on a Thursday, three clubs on a Wednesday. So, and then also from from being down with London parties and Nick House, there he had one guy who worked with this guy called Ollie Horner, and Ollie was doing student nights yeah. in Nottingham, Bristol, Liverpool. So I ended up going on. That, so those those end up being some of my first gigs out of town. Yeah, you know, he was flying me up to Edinburgh to DJ student nights. Yeah. So I was then, then every Wednesday, I mean, I won't go into depth about Bristol, but Bristol was the best. Bristol was a Thursday night, two and a half thousand students. Yeah. DJ is in this, is in a, I think now it's the, it's the academy in Bristol. Yeah. But back then it was called something else. Well, you literally, you're the DJ on stage, massive sound system, two and a half thousand students drinking yeah. one pound fifty vodka yeah. red Bulls. Oh, balls. that's me. I, yeah, I grew up on that. That's the gigs I did Mate, as well. Yeah. It was amazing. It yeah. all was amazing. And all I can say was it got to a point where, um, the backstage frolics were so outrageous <laughs> that I had I had a queue of friends trying to come down with me every week. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to go into it. It's, yeah. it's not. This Let's is this is a, this a PG-13 conversation. Yeah, we'll change. <laughs> yeah, we'll save that for your podcast. So you're just living the life, basically. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I've done that thing of doing like you know, even digital yeah. for years. I did the Monday night, which was like two thousand kids, and the Saturday night, which was a house thing, to you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand kids. Same yeah, deal. I, yeah, same deal. I worked with a guy called Mike who ran like some mishmash events, and he kind of owned Newcastle. So I was doing all yeah. kinds. I was doing the academy on a Friday for him. I was doing digital on a Saturday. I was doing you know all kinds of stuff. So yeah, similar, yeah. you know, similar. I know what you're talking about when you're saying that stuff. Um, obviously, but then I kind of took on the sort yeah. of like or created the Felix Leiter brand 
um, talk to us about like you creating your first brand or kind of moving to create something as an as an artist. Yeah, we'll, we'd have to fast forward. Well, actually, now we have to talk about my learning curve with my first label. Okay. So, so around two thousand and five, obviously from being in the industry, I could see that it was going digital. I was reading about Napster. Yeah. I was reading about musical getting digital and all the piracy going on and how the industry was losing money. So I'm thinking, well. It was quite easy in those days. It's a bit, now like, a bit like now. It was quite easy to set up a digital label. Yeah. So my first label, and I think you can still find it releases online, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> it was a label called Nod Factor. Okay. Which is actually a good name. But I just didn't take it seriously. I was so busy DJing. I just did not have the time or the patience to like really push it. So I was signing tracks from friends of mine. And this, so this is like 2005 onwards. So I was, it was very electro house progressive house based yeah at this time and i was making music under i had a few aliases i had an alias called sam rockwell i had another one um, called good time charlie i had a bunch of aliases um i was doing r&b and hip-hop as well i you remember i got i don't know if you remember there was an r&b he was like a reggae artist called two play i don't know but he's a bit of a one-hit wonder but i did yeah. like some r&b hip-hop remixes for him as sam young and maybe a song Sam Sam Rockwell. I don't know. I can but see some. I, I can they, see some Gloria Gay, some closer than close remixes on there. Yes, yes. So, so the closer, so the, the that was the probably the best release on um, Not on Factor. Factor. So that yeah. funny how that came about is because my old boss Max Bloom from Concept Days. Yeah. He is, Concept is now. I think Concept was gone by this point, but he was working for a big publishing company. He said, Sam do you want to rework closer than close for your label? So I'm like, hell yeah, that's massive. You know, obviously I know from my garage days, you know, going out raving. So um, I did closer than close. I was really hoping it was going to go all the way to Radio 1 and blow up and it it, it just didn't happen. I just didn't know how to fish it, you know what I mean? So, anyway, so, so it, was all, produ- it, was, it was a learning curve. Production-wise, just to d- delve back a little bit then, because I, yeah. did, I did ask before about the musicality stuff and you said that there yeah. wasn't really much. When did you start dabbling in production? What? How did you get into that? What were you using? Um, what did I use in those days? Um, I'd say it was around 2005. Okay. Basically, um, I knew a guy called Sly and um, he had a studio up in... Um, like I think it was Angel, and um, obviously I didn't really know. I mean, I didn't really know how how to produce or anything at this point. But he kind of, you know, I'd go in the studio with him and whatever crazy idea I had on the day of, you know, let's make some Kanye West type beats or let's make a house record. Yeah, we would do. And he, I think, in those days he was on. Um, I can't remember what 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 software he was using, but it was very. Um, it wasn't Logic. It wasn't Cubase? like first Logic. I think it was Cubase. It must have been Cubase, yeah. But he had like loads of cool keyboards and stuff, and we just, yeah, I remember this. I mean, it was quite knackering in those days because I was DJing six, seven nights a week, and then waking up, going in the studio with him all day, you know, knocking out some remixes or something for the label or some for some random idea I had, and um, so that was kind of like slowly, slowly hard, kind of like. But the funny thing was, the, the, the house tunes in those days that I made sounded awful. Compared to the things that I was playing, okay. So like through the cool electro house streams, I said, like, "Why is my stuff not sounding like this?" It just never sounded the same. But you know, 
technology, technology in those days, you know, it was a different, it was a different ball game, you know. I still feel like that now with my records. So, <laughs> <laughs> dude, that last thing you said was amazing. Why, why don't, why we don't, had to put that out. Well, we we do don't, that. don't worry. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, so yeah. then, so so you're making stuff. Um, you're running. You set up Nod Factor. So you sort yeah. of. So interestingly, like you're seeing where you and the industry are going like you're setting up a label you're starting to do bits and pieces of production um so whether you know it or not you're starting to build sort of the toolbox which would you would then use later on with an artist um how do you step away from gigging seven nights a week because i know that's a big thing like again shout out to like people like james hype again like ben rainey's mm. deep in it now like i was in it when i was gigging four or five nights a week like you know a few years ago or whatever like how yeah. did you step out of that how did you was it a, was well, it a conscious said, thing well the only the only, the only, the only way it stopped I me mean, the only thing that stopped it was when vanilla race blew up right so that's so, the only way that's the only reason it, it kind of changed and and I think the timing of it all when I think when I look at what's happening now the timing couldn't actually have been better yeah the whole the whole thing happened exactly when it was supposed to happen you know and the whole I mean if you're gonna I know if you want to talk about how Vanilla Race came about so basically so give us a, give it was, us a time give us a year when when, when you... it's 2011 okay so I think by this point I'm sick of the, the whole where EDM is going Okay. You know, I'm sick of where it's going. It's like it's it's getting noisy. It's getting too like mainstream. It's yeah. just getting a bit cheesy and crap. And like compared to like, you know, when I look back at like electro progressive house of like 2007, six, eight, it was amazing. It was really good. Then it kind of like I, we got we had to talk about something else before I talk about Vanilla Race. So okay. 2000, 2009, I'm the first. English D- DJ to join an agency in America called Scam Artist. Okay. So if you look at Scam Artist now, they look after like Little John, like all the all the big Vegas DJs, uh, like Nick Cannon. They they their their roster is ridiculous. So I I joined Scam because I'd been on holiday for two Christmases in a row in Miami, and I'd made some really good contacts there. I was DJing like loads of cool parties with this guy called DJ Irie and this other guy called Sandman, who are both big Miami DJs and very much into the scene there. Yeah. So like, I'd be DJing in like, you know, um, the line of hotel and like Jamie Foxx would be like just chilling in the corner and whoever else, like whichever rapper was around at the time. And then Irie is on the scam artist. So, sc- so scam, you know, scam approached me. They're like, hey, do you want to be, you know, on scam and we can tour you around the USA? So I'm like, yeah, why? Well, yeah, like, sounds love fun. That. You know, it sounds great. And all they want in return is like when their guys are in Europe, is that I put them into Bougie. Because I was a resident at Bougie at this point from like 2003. I was at Bougie for 13 years. Yeah. So they all they wanted is like when they when their guys were in London, I'd put them in Bougie or China White or wherever else I was yeah. playing. So fast forward a bit. Next, the two. So the um, I think it was March, April 2010. I go on like a 22 date tour of the states. <sighs> You know, I'm, I'm the first DJ from London, I think, to play live. As as Sam Young, as Sam Young, yeah. there's no there's no Vanilla Race or anything at this yeah. point. So obviously, and also at this point, an American DJ will DJs will hate to admit this, but they are a bit behind on the music. <laughs> and it's true, it's very true. And I, and I and I can go into this a lot. I could talk about DJing, DJing, and taste the music forever. 
But DJs, American DJ at this point, they had no idea what was going on in Europe. They had no idea. They're so behind on what's hot. So I remember playing live and playing like my usual open format set of, you know, everything from like Junior Mafia Players Anthem to Sydney Sampson Riverside yeah. to where else in the middle. And I had, I remember I had a very cool DJ. Um, I had a, what do you call it? A dub, a dub of Riverside by Sydney Sampson. We said it would, you'd say, this is Sam Young, bitch, or whatever it said on the yeah, record. Yeah, I used yeah, to love yeah. playing that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I remember a lot of the Miami DJs being there that night, and I remember them not bigging up myself, but they were a bit like, whoa, like, one, they'd never heard those records, I think, played they in that way before. Way. Yeah. And also they'd never heard, like, open format in that way, that someone's gone from hip-hop and R&B and then going back to, like, I was playing, like, Pond the Floor and all this stuff before it was big. Yeah. And they're like, what the fuck is this dirty Dutch stuff? What is this like electro house stuff? So then it's like, I think it was the year after is when the EDM boom came. That's when Black Eyed Peas came out. I got a feeling and all that yeah. stuff. David Getter. Get yeah. Then all the all the clubs in America start booking all the big EDM guys like Chucky and everyone else. But I think I was England. You got you know Europe has to take credit because we you know we we um like we we're saying we grew up on this dance music, pop music on the radio, not knowing what yeah. it was. It was like this throwaway music that these Americans had made, like in the city and stuff. They were getting no love in Detroit. Yeah, and America Europe never had. America never had what we had that radio one. No, nah, of course never they never had, had it. Yeah. So we you know these 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 guys are coming over to do top of the pops, and they're you know their tunes are blown up. So like you know, I think English DJs, European DJs, a lot more, um, were a lot more open-minded and um, forward-thinking than the American guys are when it comes to it's. I think it's. I think it's. They've caught up a bit now thanks to the internet, you know. But back then they were clueless. Okay. They were so clueless. Like I remember, mainly I, I got a story to tell about Grandmaster Flash. I remember Grand, Grandmaster Flash first time he I played with him in Bougie. No one knew who Grandmaster Flash was. This is before the TV series on Netflix. No one, no one even cared. <laughs> Everyone's was like, "Who Grandmaster? What?" They didn't care. This is the guy that created scratching. Yeah, you, this is the guy lines. who's created hip. This is the guy that created hip hop DJing. If it wasn't for this guy here, the world would be very different. Yeah, like that guy is like set the tone. Now, so I he I warmed up for Grandmaster Flash. He comes on, does classic R and B hip hop party set. The crowd do like it, but he's playing like you know the big hits. But when he finishes, I feel like I need to come and bring some energy. So I come on with all my massive like EDM bootlegs and all this stuff. Like, yeah. uh, and then he just runs into the DJ booth at one point. He's like, grabs me on the shoulder. He says, Sam, what the fuck is this music, man? You need to send me this like tomorrow. <laughs> I need this stuff. And I'm like, Grandmaster Flash is asking me for music. <laughs> like, whoa. I'm like, I was, tri- I was tripping. I was like, I was like, this is a mind fuck right here. Like, <laughs> I was just like, this is unreal. He gives me his email and, he, and then he's like, Sam, send me all those tunes you played the other week in Bougie, man. They were so good. And then also at this point, like all the scam guys were coming to play at Boot China White and um, Bougie and stuff. And it was, just, it was just quite clear that, you know, it was just very different ways of DJing yeah. in the, you know. And um, so fast forward to me making music so as yeah so as 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 i said i was getting really sick of the the edm and the, the electro stuff and i was just like you know there's something there's got to be something cooler you know and then around this time i started hearing some of this new disco and uh 
the deep house stuff. Cause I was on, obviously I, I was still doing pro I was getting promos in those days still yeah. from like your army and all these, all the labels. Yeah. So I'm thinking, Oh, like this is like the new sound. This is sound. This is really cool. I mean, I knew like proper, like the, the deep house of 2011 isn't like the deep house from like earlier 2000s. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. different. You know, it's a lot more, it's a whole new style. And then I remember like hearing a few, I remember going on Beatport and stuff and just hearing like, I think like early Shram J records and Colombo records where yeah. they sampled like, you know, Montel Jordan or something yeah. over like a new disco deep yeah. house beat. And I'm thinking like, wow, this stuff is selling. And I'm like, well, with my knowledge of R&B and hip hop and all this other stuff, I can make this kind of deep house crossbreed thing. Yeah. So I just remember at this point, I'm, I'm, I, um, I was living with my friend of mine called John Wolf. He, he manages Wiley still, and he was he managed at one point he managed Disciples, and he still manages Elderbrook um, to this day. Uh, and I remember sitting there. We had to like you know we we both work from home, and I remember sitting there, and I I wrote on. I remember seeing on Facebook um, someone commented on a comment about something, and they wrote vanilla vanilla ice, and I was like, ah, that's funny. And it made me laugh, and I thought that's funny, so I wrote it down for future reference. So I remember then. Um, saying to John like oh I'm thinking of you know doing like an alias and um, what do you think of this name and then at the time when I think about it now I wish he'd said no shit don't use it <laughs> <laughs> but he was like yeah man That's, yeah, it's, it's catchy yeah it's funny but I want to you know cause I grew up on like you know the fat boy slims and the yeah 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 you know all these other names and I thought I just needed I wanted an alias that was kind of stupid a stupid name like dumb that's like really catchy but like funny but the music was good. That's all I cared about. The music was good and the alias name was stupid. That's all I wanted. And um, and then that's it, man. Like, you know, at this point, I already had dealings with Tool Room and all these other labels and, you know, and, that, and that's how the ball got rolling with Vanilla Race, really. Yeah, so, so it's interesting because I, uh, yeah, the name thing always interests me. Like, I was, I was basically told this story before but I was doing the, the, the Monday at, at Digital like the big student thing you know the two, 1800 student thing and then the Saturday DJ they needed a new Saturday DJ and the guy at the club yeah. was like you know you can do it but he was yeah. like but he was like the other guy that owns a club says that we can't have the guy who's playing the Monday mashup set playing the cool house set so it was like you need yeah. a name you need a name by Saturday and I was like yeah. this was like Tuesday and I was like what do you mean he was like you need a whole new name like blah 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 <laughs> and I was like listening to a fucking podcast about James Bond and uh, this mentioned Felix Leiter and I was like that's a fucking cool name and I was yeah. like and I didn't I wish I'd thought again right well not you, you're doing fucking good but I was like I wish I'd thought about it more with everything I know about marketing now it's fucking stupid to take a name of a character that's in a film and all the rest of it but like, I was like copyright wishes yeah well just not, and also you know at the time it was like you googled Felix Leiter you found you know what I mean like, oh yeah of course blah, blah, James Bond yeah, all yeah, that yeah. stuff but like at the time I wasn't thinking like that and I didn't have all the yeah. knowledge that I have now so this was like whatever 16 years ago or something yeah and I was just like I just messaged my boss and I was like Felix Leiter and he was like cool then he put it on the floor and then <laughs> fucking it um, but yeah I mean I remember yeah. like yeah because I think the sort of first I remember that club sweat thing of yours like and I remember I think something like yeah I'm trying to think of the first things that I came across of yours because I remember when I saw the name and I was like I think it's good because it's, it's jarring like I think I remember when I first time I saw it I was like is he I was because I thought I was like is someone taking the piss like is someone is this like someone else is this someone who's really famous under another yeah. name and like but I think yeah well, I remember the first time seeing it it was funny and I was like because it, it definitely jarred me and I was like oh that's 
I liked it. I was like, oh, that's, that's fucking cool. And, uh, but uh, but the, fun, the funny thing is, like, the only reason why I wish I didn't call myself that is because when I started to tour in America, people would literally yeah. take it, like, literally, like, yeah. they would take it too literal, like, yeah. oh, you're a fan of Vanilla Ice. And I'm like, no, it's a pose, <laughs> it's an alias. It's a dumb, it's like, of course I'm not a fan of him. It's just a fun, it's just a stupid name. But they would literally, like, I remember once, like, this, 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 to this day made me laugh. I was doing a gig in Miami at this um, at the the, the Edition Hotel, and uh, and the guy and this this journalist said to me, he's like, "Hey, how about I get in touch with Vanilla Ice, and I get him to introduce you at the gig?" And I was like, "Are you having a laugh?" And I said, like, "Why would I want? I can never expect to Vanilla Ice, but what? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why would I want him to introduce me at gig?" Uh, so, and you've only, I, uh, I feel like I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you. Vanilla Race has only ever been house music. You've never done like a... No. Uh, but the problem, I, the, but my, you know, again, teething difficulties. With, with, so when I made Vanilla Race, I didn't have a marketing plan. I right. didn't have anything. I just wanted a stupid name to put out some other music. Yeah. It was like, you know... I, it's not like now. So when I started building race, it's not like now where everyone was like, "Oh, this is how many Instagram photos I got," and yeah, and this yeah. is like it wasn't about that. It was about the music. Yeah. So the first vanilla race, like the first big vanilla race release, was on off recordings. Yeah. So off recordings back then was like probably like the equivalent of I don't know what what what's a big label now. It's probably like a re, it was like how we populate Mars is now. Yeah, yeah. And it's everyone it to be who, on it, and it was the cool label. And it was the guys who did went on to do like. That other massive record from a few years ago, right? They did like, did they not do Shake That or something? What was the record they did? Right, yeah, yeah. So basically, off recordings were huge. They had everyone from like Matt Joe, yeah. me, Purple Disc, all of Purple Disco Machine's early stuff is on off recordings. My yeah. stuff. Um, I remember I've got Columbus stuff on vinyl. Shram J. Yeah. Um, like the, the the roster of artists on on off was ridiculous, and and like. I mean, credit to off like he, Andre Crom, who who ran the label. I mean, not, nothing against I got nothing against him for changing the sound of the label, but personally, I I think it was a bad move because when you're the king of the castle like he was, yeah, and he did a complete left turn and went techno, yeah, it's like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, it's like you just completely just you know just lost all your followers, all your fans, and now gone to another. That's level what happens when you're in. Else. That's what happens when you're in Berlin, mate. It's true, and I, I think I mean I don't know the story personally, but I just think he was he he worried he was more worried about what other people perception. thought. Yeah, perception. Yes. Yeah, it was perception from other people that you know that ran Berghain all this stuff, and they're like, oh, you're what's this like deep house commercial yeah. stuff you're putting out? And it's kind of like, well, it's doing well, mate. So no, I think it's interesting because I mean you must have, you must have started Vanilla Race about the same sort of time I started Felix Slater. The first record that I put out was. Carl Hannigan signed it and it and it went on Head Candy in like 2010. So that was like the first. So it must have been a similar sort of time that we started it. And like I say, if I was starting a new alias now, I wouldn't do it in the same way. I would, you know, what I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's lots of things I would do. I would do differently. Um, and then, like going through sort of the Vanilla Ace journey, it like it seems to. Is it just me or does it? Is it seem to have really accelerated in the last like two to three years? Is that better? Yeah. Can you talk? Can you say something? Can you hear me now? Oh. You've taken your earphones oh. out. 
That's bad. No, I had to plug my phone in. I'm on speaker now. All right, cool. Yeah, no, I was just saying, like, I mean, I, I please correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I mean, I remember like the stuff. I remember like seeing your record on Enormous because I had a track on Enormous and stuff. But you, you, like, for me, Vanilla Ray seems to have just accelerated at pace in the last like two or three years. Like with like some of those like real tech house bangers that you were putting out. Like, oh yeah. So um, you know what? It's like I think the problem, the problem, the problem I had. At the, in the early days, I was doing too much under one name. But if you go back, you know, to the to, to the, the early few years of Vanilla Ace, you, it's such a cross mix of mix of music. You know, everything from G House, yeah, to New Disco, to Deep House, no to like House Records. It was too, it was like yeah, it, it got to a point where it was like I did. I thought I was confusing my fans, you know. So what happened was, I'll tell you where the, tra- the turning point was. So I made a record called Scandalize. That was on Tour Room. Okay. Which was, it did, it did quite well. Um, but originally that was supposed to be another name. I was literally going to, I was going to slowly die off Vanilla Race. Okay. So I had another alias called Ultra Graphic that I had, I had I'd, I'd just done like a few releases. I made Scandalize and I sent it to Tour Room and, um, Tour room were like, no, put it out as Vanilla Ace. And I was like, I was like, oh yeah, but I've been releasing all this like bass house stuff and all this whatever. And they're like, no, 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 just do it as Vanilla Ace. And I was like, oh man. So that kind of like stopped the ultra graphic thing in his tracks. Cause I was like, well, if that's going to be Vanilla Ace, that's got to be the sound from now on. Okay. So from that point on, so I'd say this was beginning of 2016. Or yeah. the two thousand six. That was it. I was like, okay, that's the sound. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dabbling. I'm not mixing it up anymore. That's okay. it. Like, I can see that. Obviously, I can see at this point that Tech House is the new, new thing. So I'm like, let me just Vanilla Race would be Tech House and like House Bangers, a bit like Commotion, like the Commotion record. Yeah. And then um, I made Sammy Deuce, and like two years ago, I started doing the Sammy Deuce stuff. Is because. I got massive, you know, from the, my R&B DJ hip hop background. I, I, you know, obviously when I started going through the samples, I had, a, I started collecting all these breaks and all this rare disco, rare groove funk stuff. And I couldn't really sample it in anything. And I was like, I've got all these, all these amazing ideas for tunes, but I don't want to do it as Vanilla Ace. But that, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's just wrong. So I thought, let me just start again. Sammy Deuce is the new one. Done. And do you gig more as Vanilla Ace or as Sammy Deuce like pre-lockdown in the last 12 months up to lockdown were you gigging do you gig more as Vanilla Ace? Sam Young <laughs> so you still do more gigs as Sam Young? Sam Young gigs pay, pay my bills and is that because Sam Young gigs that is you playing party open format like gigs? well yeah I think it's because um I build up a reputation of, I don't know, just being good at playing open format parties and knowing what people want. Yeah. And I think also, um, I think it's due with like the resume. Um, I mean, a lot of people know this anyway, but like, you know, in like 2013, was it 2014? I, d- I did like George Clooney's wedding yeah. in Venice. Um, last year, I'd like, I did Idris Elba's wedding in Marrakesh. Um, so, and is that just from the sort of historic London party scene, like Mayfair, no, it's, China it's, White? It's, 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 it, 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 
China White, it starts, it kind of starts there, but it's not how I got those gigs. So basically what happened was, I'd say I got more of those kind of gigs, I got into that world from being at Bougie, okay. when Bougie was hot. So when I, when I started playing at Bougie in 2003, China White was kind of done, at, was kind of like dying off at this point. You know, it had, it had its good four year run and Bougie was the new hotspot in South Kensington. Yeah. So um, I, was at, I, was at, yeah, I was at Bougie for like, you know, 12, 13 years. And uh, may it rest in peace. It's now a Five Guys burger joint in South Kensington. Sad. They do got burgers, but sad nonetheless. Yeah, they got burgers. Yeah, I mean, and the, and the, and the most messed up thing is, is Five Guys made it bigger. <laughs> I think I think there's the interesting thing for me is like, and it's 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 interesting because this podcast is about for me this podcast is about DJ and it's not about house music. I speak yeah. to a lot of house music DJs because because yeah. that's one of the things that I love. But like, it's about DJing, and I have to say that like. Although I haven't DJed George Clooney's wedding, um, I'd have to say what allowed me to make the records and be Felix Leiter was all the other gigs that I was doing, just as party Monday student night, Friday student night, indie indie night here, like you know bars, club. Like without that, I don't think I'd have had the time to be in the studio through the day. I don't think I'd have had the, the ability to go and do all the other gigs yeah. really. And and I think that everyone, that, a lot of people I speak to on this podcast comes from student gigs it comes from other gigs that have allowed people to have the time during the day to make the music which has then enabled them yeah. to, to do other stuff um, and I think that's an interesting thing about DJ, which is sometimes a, a part of you or a part of your brand doesn't always show the full the full story of, of what DJing gave you or where DJing got you yeah no, definitely um Right, I'm gonna. Um, oh, let I me mean, talk to us a little bit about because <clears throat> obviously I sent you a track recently that you liked, and hopefully we're gonna get that linked up. Talk to us about the the label that you're running now. Like, give us well, with Wildcard. Um, so, like, like I was saying, like, think, things things could be very different had Tour Room said Scandalize was ultra graphic. Like, I think I would have put it on full pelt and ultra graphic at that point and be like, yeah, new alias done. You know what I mean? But because they made it made me do it as vanilla race it kind of like i was like oh, okay well let me just all those tracks i was going to do as ultra graphic i'll just do as vanilla race now so yeah mate yeah so i did yeah i had some you know good releases and stuff but i think the difference between when i started and now is like it's such an oversaturated market you know and it's like <clears throat> the re- reason why i wanted to start another alias I would, I, would, I would never sack off Vanilla Race completely, but the reason why at the time I wanted to sack it off is because, you know, I think, the, as I said, Vanilla Race was, was doing like, I had releases on like Night Bass and all these other labels, and it was kind of more of that kind of like, it was that kind of like bassy house sound. And um, only when I did the Ultra Graphic that I, the, the, I mean, the Ultra Graphic Scandalized record, which ended up being a Vanilla Race release, that I think, okay. I'll do, I'll do, um, I'll go like, you know, full pelt on the tech house vibe. But obviously at this time, you know, you've you, you got like, you know, your Salados and your Camel Fats and <clears throat> everyone else, MKs and all this, everyone, you know, it's such a saturated world. Yeah. And I think a lot of people associate Vanilla Race with that like old, like G- deep house, G house sound still. Cause they, they look back and they go like, oh yeah, yeah. And even to this day, I get people message me going oh yeah I love, I love that release from 2013 or 14 and blah 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 and it's like yeah great 
Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, check out the new stuff. <laughs> I think that's, I mean, I um, think that's, I think that's interesting. Like a really interesting point as well, though, about that kind of of an artist changing sound. Like I, I really like worry about. Like I mean, I've always ever just made music that I liked, and ultimately, that's probably half the reason that I haven't done better. And I, I struggle with not make. I struggle with you know. You said about staying in, like you know, making stuff that all sound the same. I really struggle with that. Um, but same, same with you, really. Like I think I probably was was quite known for like more of that. Like um, I don't know, but yeah. I mean, I had. I mean, I've had records on on Head Candy. I've got records there, you know, the background with like a collab with Sander Kleinerberg on spinning. Yeah. You know, there's records nice. that you know, there's records that were a big record of Abel Ramos on like on Dawn. You know, so there's like I kind of yeah. been all over the place, which is just making records that I loved, but never really honed in anything. All the stuff that's signed now is like stuff that's coming out on like who like who plays like whose label is a more disco yeah. thing with Ben Rainey I've got like a, a tech house thing that samples um, think about the way uh, Ice MC the thing from Born Slippy that's coming out on like on Vamos like it's more techie the thing I sent you is like a kind of potentially a crossover radio like you know yeah. fun thing like so I just struggled with makeup but what my yeah but it's still cool though, even though it's crossover I thought, I thought it has that crossover cool appeal but yeah, but my point being is, like, I mean, thank you. But my point being is, like, we sometimes as artists over over analyze what we think we were or what direction we're going in, and like yeah. if people remember us for something, and and like we get caught up in that much more than I think than I think fans do. Um, yeah. Um, okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna we, I think to be honest, you, you've lived a phenomenally interesting career in music, and we could probably do like two or three podcasts covering different different parts of it. But. Hey, I, I, but the thing is, I always have to tell the, tell the story and connect the dots because it's like, you know, I can't, you know, it's like you can't talk about one thing and not mention the other. Of course. It's kind of like, you know. Well, I would be, and I would be remiss at this point. Obviously, we're doing the, the podcast remotely. How are you finding lockdown? How is it affecting you musically? How is it affecting you gig-wise? What do you see? You know, what are you now looking at the rest of the year, the future? What are your thoughts? Well, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, like everyone else, everything that I had planned for, you know, this year has been either cancelled or moved. Yeah. So, like, all, like, on the Sam Young side of things, obviously all the clubs I was DJing at on a, on a weekly basis or whatever, they're, they're all closed for yeah. the time being. But all the, wed- all, like, all the big weddings and stuff that I had, you know, planned or, or been booked for, most of them have been moved to, like, either later this year or to next summer. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, but obviously, vanilla. I had a vanilla race tour scheduled for around now. I think in America, that that's obviously you know postponed as well. Um, yeah, I was going to do my first US gigs with. Um, it was going to be me and Shram. Me and Shram J had done gigs together in Brazil. Tiger and stuff. Never yeah. done stuff in America before, so we were going to do um, some of some like it was like um, I would say yeah, I think it was more like a bunny 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 tiger showcases. And nice. Stuff. Yeah. So yeah, but that, obviously that's all been postponed. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, with the label, I'm not. I mean, I haven't really looked at the stats of people downloading more music or less. Um, but obviously, it, it's kind of weird releasing yeah. club club music in this situation because it's kind of like yeah. I remember, I remember I could see what was going to happen with the lockdown. I remember going on this one group I'm on on in Facebook, and I remember saying to people like, you know, the lockdown is going to be it's going to happen do you think it's worth and I, I did ask the question to this group and I was like do you think it's worth releasing like house bangers and this tech house stuff bank like 
Yeah. There's no, you know, no festivals. There's no clubs. Is it worth it? And people are like, no. You need to keep keep releasing music. People need it. They want to listen to it on like stream it and you know when they're working out and whatever dance at home. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, yeah. I'll keep on doing. I, I left the, my release schedule for the label exactly as it was. And I'm like, and, I, and I've actually signed more music during this lockdown than I would usually because I'm actually at home and I have time Listen to listen to it. Yeah. I think there's, I think that's one thing. I mean, I, I manage some acts as well. Um, and like you get contradictory advice from different people in the industry. Some people are locking stuff down and not signing things and, you know, try to push back releases. Other people are like, yeah, I mean, I've had, you know, more tracks listened to by like Fisher, for example, in the last fucking two weeks than I have in the last like year. And everyone's at home. Because everyone's, everyone's at home. home. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to like, this. this is the best time. The best time to make some outstanding music and send it to a label is now. Yeah, um, right. Like this year, you couldn't. You couldn't. People haven't got an excuse. They can't say, "Oh, well, I was, I was touring." Like, no, you weren't, mate. You're sitting at home. So let's, let's listen to it. <laughs> um, right then, we're gonna. Um, two things. There's, there's the old. There's the the. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna we're gonna wind up the podcast. I'm gonna ask you to curate a sort of dream gig. Um, it's just in the moment, so it could be different if I asked you last week or next week, but it's just right now, today, here where we are. I want a venue that this gig's going to take place in. It can be a real venue, like, so you can say, like, you know, Live Miami, you can say China White back in the day. It can be, you know, whenever you want it to be. Or it can just be generic, yeah. like a 40,000 festival or a 200 pack, you know. So I need, a, I need a venue. And then I want three acts, right? It's not like a headline warm-up. It's just three acts. You can be part of it. You can be playing. You can be back to back, or you can just be going to it. It's just right. a dream kind of gig. It can be, you know, there's dead or alive, open or closed. You can bring back, you can do whatever you want. So where are wow. we gonna, where, where are we gonna have this? Where are we gonna have this party? Man, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna have to draw. I'm gonna, I think I have to draw inspiration from something I've done before. And it was funny. And still to this day, it just reminds me of like a fascinating period. So Bougie used to do these um, bank holiday August weekend parties in Ibiza. Okay, sounds messy. They were they were pretty incredible. Like the early ones before, like the you know the police got a bit more strict and blah blah blah. Yeah, they you know like there was a few that were just like outstanding. Like literally, you know, from you 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 know it started around eleven. But I remember there's a few of them went all the way to sunset. You know, it was amazing. A good, like, eight-hour party. It was crazy. So I would I would have to go back to, like, probably, yeah, dream gig, you know, DJing on the on the beach in that kind of environment. Okay. Nice. You know, just a banging up for a crowd. Nice cool. warm weather. You know, the waves crashing in the distance. Nice. You sold, then, um, I'm sold. Yeah, and who's who's and who's, on, who's on the act? Who's on the bill? Well, alongside me. And who are you, and who are you? Are you Sam Young? Are you uh, are you Vanilla Ace? Are you Sammy Juice? I, I do I, I do it as Sam Young <laughs> just so I can mix it up. Cool, nice. I, I do it as Sam Young just so I, I can mix it up. And then obviously I'd, I'd have to you know as it, as we need Bifa we'd have to um, keep it keep it in that vein, and I'd have to have some of my favourites on board. So I'd have to go with oh, it's such a tough one. It's always that like that question: Who do you have on the lineup with you? I don't know. I mean, personal favorite just from growing up. I'd I'd, I'd want Daft Punk to do a live set. Of course, with the pyramid or just you know just just with, nah, with helmets just, with just, just, with helmets just, or without. 
I don't know. I'd say just with the helmets and like a cool, like you know, be cool, like kind of like live semi nice. semi live Bung, DJ set. Bungalta, yeah, nice. And then um, then who else did I have? Uh, you know what? I'd have to go with. I'd have to go with Armin Van Helden. Yes, just mate. Like, yes, just mate. Max fan. It was my. Uh, it was my. It was pr- pretty much my. I've warmed up for him a couple uh, a couple of times and didn't work with him at digital, and it was like. To me, he's like he's God. Like to me, Van Helden is as far as like sampling, yeah. as far as production, as far as just being a cool motherfucker. Van I Helden. did meet him once in Miami, and he was super cool. And I, I was kind of friends with Arthur Baker. Yeah, he was with Arthur, and I was just like, oh my god, he's like my hero. It's just the coolest. Like, he's, he's my house music hero. I'll be Van Helden. Like, cool. I'm, I'm down. I'm down with that lineup. I'm I'm coming to your party, man. Uh, and then this is the this is the the new thing, which is again, it's just in the moment. I'm asking you to name a track, and we're going to play the podcast out with it. It can be anything. It can be one of yours. It can be something you just signed. It can be a record you heard this morning. It can be something from your childhood. Like, but give us a reason why we're going to play the podcast out with it. The night writers let the music use you. I think that's my favorite house tune ever. It's a absolute classic. I, yeah, I sampled it actually. One of my one of one of my very early Vanilla Ice records. I I used that. Yeah, it's Frankie Knuckles. Yeah, that's why I, I, I did. I did like a deep house. Um, I, I did like a deep house version of it. I just no. I just I just took the riff. And that's it. I did, and I put something else around it. Okay. Well, thank you so much, man, for chatting. That story was uh, was amazing. I'm sure there's more stuff to come, and uh, I look forward to working with you. And uh, thank you so much for the chat, man. No, no, thank you. Have a good summer. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are.